it's very easy to get pushed around a lot. And I think by nature of that, your um, inclination towards or your 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 behavioral pattern to learn how to do this tough love kind of naturally develops or else you're kind of always getting pushed around by requests coming from every direction and you just can't Welcome to 33 Tangents, a roundtable discussion covering a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Your hosts, Jason Thompson, John Moran, Jen Coons, and myself, Jim Driscoll, all live in different areas of the world, but work together in the same company. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Now, no, but um, who were we talking about dreams with? It was Jen, right, on the company call? Because she posted about having some dream where she was trying to solve an implementation issue. Yes, yes, yesterday we were talking about work dreams. <coughs> yeah. Jo- so John was in my dream last night. Well, I I'll just to- leave it right there, full stop. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it was work related, but. <laughs> I am going to use that line as the cold open. So I was, uh, John invited me to hang out in, in Bangkok and I was staying at his apartment. I don't even know if there's, there's room for me there, but he was nice enough to let me come stay. Uh, and, and he had like this little, um, uh, futon, um, by this, by the window and he was laying on it, but he had a like an oversized hoodie on, and he had the the hoodie on and had it scrunched up and the laces tied over his face, so because he was trying to keep all the bad air out. It was it was amazing. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I feel so bad for John right now. Um, I, hope, I don't know if I should read into this or not. <laughs> I don't know, but it was it was because we were talking about it yesterday, right? And yeah, it just uh, a little, some of that. <laughs> not, yeah, not all, we weren't talking about all. Well, we were talking about the air quality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh I, yeah, I mentioned let's make it clear we were talking about the air quality and not me laying on a futon and <laughs> it's fair. We were we were talking about the air quality. But ever since I ever since oh, multiple things. Um I've been uh, I've been taking a hot tub soak late at night, but ever since I added that to the weirdest the... podcast opening we've had, I think. <laughs> ever since I added that to the fifteen pound weighted blanket. I, my dreams are just bizarre. And and I think it's because I'm looking at my sleep app and according to my sleep app, and I don't know how spot on accurate this is, but I'm spending much more time in deep sleep, um, which at least as far as I can remember is resulting in some like very vivid and weird dreams. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. I, I definitely want to know more about the weighted blanket because Funny enough, you're like the third or fourth person I've heard talk about it recently. So definitely want to know more about your experiences. With it. And and I'm not much of a, a blanket guy. Like usually at night, I, I will like kick everything off. I just don't like anything touching me. Um, but with and so I was worried about this one because it's not only on you. It's like you can feel it. You know, it's 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 heavy. Um, but. I don't move like the minute I fall asleep, like I don't remember tossing and turning. I wake up in the morning and the blanket is still on me. I I, I don't know what it is. And I was thinking maybe I would get overheated, but it's, it's not like I, 
it just seems very, very comforting. Um, at least to me, like my, I I'll, I'll share some of my, my sleep graphs pre and post blanket and my quality of sleep just like skyrocketed up the minute I started using it. That's nice. good. Well, they say you only dream uh, vividly when you're in a good right. sleep. So yeah. So some good anecdotal evidence there. Sorry, sorry to get us off on a on a weird start here. No, I mean I can no, already no tell worries. you're in a good mood. So. <laughs> well, my sleep my sleep quality last night was uh, let's see, eighty seven percent. Before the blanket, my my average sleep quality was somewhere down in the sixty percent range. However, that metric is being hmm. calculated. How are you measuring? <laughs> yeah, so I'm using uh, I'm using an app called Sleep Cycle. So it um, it sits on the side of your bed, and there's a couple ways that you can do it. You can either um, have it set to detect motion or set to detect sound. Um, so I have it set to detect sound, um, and so you have the microphone open all night long, and it's very very sensitive. In fact, it it has in its algorithm the ability to detect and throw out different kinds of sounds because it can detect snoring. Um, and it actually captures snippets of it, which is super embarrassing. And you can go back and listen to it. Um, but I've tested it where I've like kept the TV on at night to see if like that would throw it off and it, and it doesn't. Um, so anyway, it detects like your, your breathing. It detects like if you're moving, like the, the sound of the bed rustling, if you're like tossing and turning, um, and it, I, I'm guessing it uses that to determine like how deep of, of a sleep, uh, that you're in. And then it, it captures a bunch of statistical trends. So, um, I can go and I can plot my sleep quality, uh, my, the time I go to bed versus the time I wake up. And then I can keep notes. So like, did I work out? Did I hit my 10,000 step goal? Did I eat late? Did I sit in the hot tub? Uh, did I have a stressful day? And then it captures a bunch of things like the weather quality, the air quality, um, air pressure, moon phase, and a bunch of other things, and then starts to draw all these correlations uh, so and, and plots out your sleep quality against all of these these different measures. So it's it's pretty fascinating. Is there a, a sensor? I, I don't understand how it works. It just uses the phone? It, yeah, it uses the phone and it uses the microphone to sense um, like your breathing and movements. Wow. So again, I don't know how accurate it is, right? It's not like I'm wearing anything. It's not like there's a sensor that's on me or on the bed that's sensing movement. It's it's through the phone and it's using the microphone to detect sounds and then from those sounds to detect whether I'm snoring, whether I'm tossing and turning, whether I'm like talking. Um, it's it's really interesting. That's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. That so it's called well. Sleep Cycle. I'm curious now. Okay. All right fascinating for an analytics you know nerdy data person it's it's like you can go over the top with it so i i thought at first maybe you had like a smart blanket no 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 just a just a mobile app <laughs> and i've only collected about a month's worth of data but i think at some point in time it'd be interesting because they allow you to kick all of this data out in raw form so you could pull it into like r or python and like really play with it and throw your own visualizations on top of it could be really fun Anyway, sorry, Jim, for bombarding your podcast. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I had one, <laughs> I had one more question about this. There's like, a, I'm just looking at it. 
Do you have? Do you do you pay for this app? Or do you I I I, I pay for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I've got. Yeah. Fun stuff. It is good stuff. It, it, it's funny how you can measure just about everything these days. Indeed, and sometimes to extremes, but I, you know. Exactly. Um, like the, like, I, um, I have a Fitbit and, um, so I don't know if you guys remember, right. You know, when there was the rumor of the Apple watch, there was a, a, a smartwatch that came out. It was compatible with both iOS and Android. It was called Pebble and they started with a crowdfunding initiative. And I, I actually bought one through that and it was a neat little watch and you could tell like, okay, this is version one. They're only going to get better. But then Fitbit ended up buying them and basically bought them for the IP. And then they came out with the Fitbit Versa, which is a, you know, a bit of a watch too. Um, I, I like using it just, you know, on a side tangent um, because it, it's not nearly as connected as the Apple Watch. And I want it that way, but it gives me a crap ton of stats on my activity throughout the day. Um, how active I am, like I have it set that to make sure I've got 14 active hours. So an active hour is 250 steps or more in, in an hour. So it alerts me with like, if there's 10 minutes left in the hour and I haven't moved that much to, to, to get up and move. And it, it also tracks heart rate um, and you know your level of activity. Like uh, if you go to the gym, just go out for a brisk walk or whatnot. And then it also tracks sleep as well. So it doesn't track as nearly as detailed as the app that you're talking about. But, uh, yeah, you, you could definitely go over the top. With yeah. It. No, there's all sorts of crazy options, and they've they've really escalated. I, I think my Fitbit that I had was called the Flex. It was, like, way, way old school. And I haven't really kept up on what they're doing, but mm-hmm. I know they've built a lot of, of new technology into it. And, John, if you're, you're interested, I saw someone on Twitter maybe even yesterday talking about a ring that they wear that tracks their sleep and heart rate and stuff at night. Uh, have you, have oh, you seen I want that? that too? I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> like how many options are out there to kind of collect and quantify that. And for, for me, like it's, it's been really good. Just, um, I, you know, we haven't, I don't think talked about it on the podcast, but, um, I, I posted it on Facebook. I believe that my 2019 goals were to live deliberately. That was my only goal, um, and and by that I just wanted to be more focused on what I was doing and not just kind of just going with the flow. And and part of that was you know collecting information and and really being more organized. I showed John yesterday. Um, my notion notebook where I'm kind of creating a personal wiki and, and documenting everything. Um, but with the sleep app and with the, the Apple watch to track activity, um, it's been amazing that just having insight into that has changed the way I've, I've done things. Like I've, I've definitely been more physically active. I've done things to, to improve my quality of sleep. I notice now, like I would, I would just like have the TV on at night and fall asleep to that and have a lot of background noise. But now I'm going out of my way to almost game the system to say like, I have to increase my sleep quality score. And it's, it's actually having a really good effect of it is increasing my, my quality of sleep. Um, by just having these these measures in place. So maybe all of the statistics and do I sleep better on a full moon versus not are, are overkill. But the fact that I'm tracking them 
um, has made me more aware of things that influence them and um, has, uh, for me, has like actually, you know, made it better, you know, being more active, focusing on quality of sleep. Um, it's It's been an interesting little study, although it's only been a few weeks. Hmm. Well, that's yeah. the most important thing, but it has an impact. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And I actually, you know, you know, you're talking about like living deliberately. I think that gives us a great segue into the the actual topic for, for today's episode. Not to say that um, what we've been talking about hasn't been interesting. Um, but what I want to talk about this week has a bit of a tinge of, of being deliberate in what you do. And it, I want to talk about, you know, when do you need to give tough love to your clients? So there's this perception yeah, in the services industry that you need to be a yes person. Um, you have to be everything to everyone to have a successful client engagement. Um, Jason, in our last episode, you, you mentioned the low barrier to entry in our space and that being partially responsible for, for this kind of mentality. Um, you you know, in order to have happy, satisfied clients, you need to give them everything that they want when they want it on their schedule. Um, in actuality, however, um, there are times when you need to exercise tough love with a client and that, that could take many forms. And, and Jason, I know off the bat what your opinion is going to be. And for me, I want to kind of challenge myself with this conversation and actually try to find a way to argue the, the other point. So I, I, I thought of that just before we signed on. I'm like, you know what? I, I, I we, we can't just have another episode of I agree, even though I, I do agree. I know what your opinion is going to be. And I agree with you on it. So I want to find a way to argue. The, Fair uh, enough. The Fair enough. But before so, we get in, before we get into um, it, let's expand it. And let's say, you know, tough love for your okay. customer, because, you know, while we we're taking a, an approach from a, a services perspective, I think the same holds true if you look at tough love with your customer, because you can have a customer as a as a internal employee, right? So if you're a director of analytics um, or a VP of data strategy, you have lots of customers in your organization, and a lot of times you need to be the one giving them tough love. So you know this this episode should be relevant whether you work in the services industry or you work directly client side. Um, we we all have customers, and I think this fits um, either of those scenarios. Very, that, that, that's a very good point. And I want to actually expand it one level further. So um, I also want to talk about it being in the pre-sale process. When to, do you know, when to exercise tough love with a prospect? Because it, it, I, it's all going to come back around to, to setting expectations, whether you're explicitly setting expectations or there's implied expectations set. So if you think about the sales process, if you're bending over backwards in the sales process, you set the expectation that, you know, post sales, you're going to do the same. And I'm, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but let me just get, finish up the, the introduction here. So really to, to get us started, I wanted to pose two questions. What forms can tough love take in the context of an engagement or sales or just generally working with your customer? And you know, what, what times uh, require yeah, a tough love approach based on past experience? So 
I'll just jump in um, because you've already, I think, stated where where I fit in the the argument um, that I I I truly believe that um, if you're going to be successful in in any specific role, that um, sure you can argue whether tough love is given really tough. And I can't remember. And I think I've shared it on the the podcast. The quote from John Wooden. Um, I'll have to pull it up so I don't misquote it or I'll add it to the show notes. But, you know, he's talking about motivating um, bass. So for those that don't know, John, John Wooden, extremely successful um, basketball coach at the the college level at, I, I, I think it was UCLA. I, I still think he owns, My shout out. <laughs> I still think he owns the record for like all time <laughs> national championships. Um, if I'm misquoting any of this stuff, someone correct me, but, a highly, highly successful collegiate coach. And and he has a quote that really stuck with me where he talked about motivating his players and said, you know, everybody needs a, a slap on the backside, but sometimes it needs to be a little lower and a little harder. And sometimes it just needs to be, you know, a, a soft arm around the shoulder, uh, meaning that, you know, you kind of have to be careful in how you deliver that advice, depending on who you're giving it to. But either way, Everyone needs some tough love now and then, right? None of us are perfect and and we all need adjustment. And in my own personal career, the one story that has stuck with me the most is um, I walked out of a meeting. This is when I was on the client side running analytics for Spark Networks. And I walked out of a meeting and I was just distraught that the marketing team was extremely unhappy with me. Um, And the CEO pulled me aside and said, look, Jason, if I'm not getting complaints that you're being tough, that you're questioning what our teams are doing, then you're not doing your job right. Your job isn't to come in here and just tell these teams what they want to hear. Your job is to come in there and tell them what they need to hear, regardless if you know they want to hear it or not. So you know that's the story that has has always stuck with me. Um, but we can debate like what's the right way to deliver that message. But for me, you know, our our role, especially as analysts, isn't to isn't to just um, go in and tell people what they want to hear. Our, our job is to tell people what they need to hear. We should be an independent voice um, of the business using data to back up our recommendations. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think uh, for me, the I'm thinking pra- uh, practitioner side as well. So being on the client side, I feel like in the role of, in the analytics role, you're kind of, it's very easy to get, pushed around a lot. And I think by nature of that, your um, inclination towards this or your 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 behavioral pattern to learn how to do this tough love kind of naturally develops or else you're kind of always getting pushed around by requests coming from every direction. And you just can't satisfy everyone almost. I don't know. Um, so I, I think it, in one aspect, the tough love comes from maybe a, a necessity just to kind of stay afloat. You can't just say yes to everything. And and it's funny, you mentioned, um, you know, being pushed around there. So being on the, the, the technical side of things, being the one that designs the solution and wires it up, that that is something I, I frequently encounter because a lot of times you're part of a larger dev dev project and um, 
what, what do I want to say? Like it's the, the default mode of, of many project managers I've come across is to, to, to bully their way to get you to comply with their project schedule. So sometimes it, some, sometimes it's just easier to, to go along with it, give them what they want because mm-hmm. so that it doesn't give the appearance that you're the one holding up a, a project schedule. Yeah, no, I, I, I see that. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the operative word there being sometimes, because you don't want to just complete a task by, by an arbitrary date and forego quality. There, you know, there, there's times where you definitely need to push back. And again, I'm trying to argue the, 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 the counterpoint to this of, you know, uh, you know, having a happy client is, you know, meeting what they ask, you know, when they, when they ask for it. Yeah. I think it's almost easier to always say yes. To oh, by, by not really. Yeah. hundred oh, percent agree. Yeah. yeah. So it's like almost <laughs> you say yes to everything if you don't care as much. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, um, it, it is by far easier to, to say yes. Now, is that a short-term strategy or a long-term? So I, I think in the long-term that, that begins to degrade, you know, you can, you can say yes a lot, but at some point in time, there will be some kind of expectation of results um, or, or some kind of content to, to what you're, you're producing. And if we're just saying yes, that may on the surface appease people in the short term. Uh, but in the long run, that, that tends to, to fade out. And um, if you look at our role as, con- as consultants, um, if you look at your role as say a, a director of analytics, the, the proof is in what you're able to produce. And I, you know, I've had the opportunity to see both sides of this and I've seen, uh, yes, people put into high management roles in analytics and they're looked at as superstars for six months. And a lot of it is because they're saying yes to everything. And it's so nice. It just goes with the flow. But month seven on people start questioning, well, what are we getting here? What are we doing? And it often leads to a very bad and, and messy breakup. So while it may be easy to say yes in the beginning, I think the long run of that is that it becomes very, very difficult to keep saying yes in the long run if, and I'll, you put the caveat on it, that you know, you're not producing. There's not some value being created along that. And, and, and so not to say that we shouldn't play nice and not to say that saying yes doesn't create value, but there needs to be that, that balance. And I think value is ultimately going to be the, the measuring stick of um, how successful you you are um, in, in, in any of those situations. Uh, but again, I, I'm a firm believer that the, the greatest value you can create is by providing the direction and insights that are our best and not just what what are easiest um, at that at that time and it's a it's a skill that I think is very very difficult to master especially early in in one's career you know if this is your first role in management um, you know if you're two or three years into your career it's really difficult to say no uh, it's really difficult to stand up to a CMO or a VP um, and not that you need to do it in a rude way but um, even in any way to, to kind of challenge that authority is is very, very difficult. Um, so I, I can see why people fall into that that mentality. I just I just don't think it's a long term winning strategy to not um, to say yes all the time. 
Mm-hmm. And and that, that's a great point. So let's dig into that uh, a bit deeper. So you know, I don't know about you, but like for for me, you know, early on it was implied. You know, y- your job is to make customers happy and to make them happy. You know, yep, give them what they want when they want. So that that that's saying yes all the time. So then the inverse of that is saying no makes an unhappy client. But listening so far to what you've been saying is actually saying no in the long term makes for a very happy customer. Um, so th- th- there's like th- th- for for many people there's that mostly most likely creates a disconnect yeah. where it's like so not saying yes is actually going to make my customer look at look at happy. your group of friends look at your family members and and segment them into the ones that you th- you believe you have a very deep meaningful relationship with versus those that you think you have a very shallow um, relationship with and and look at the differences in how those two groups act I, I'm sure all of us have people around us that are are very charming. And they're always saying what you want to hear and, you know, may appear to be the life of the party. And everyone's like, oh, you know, they're they're so, you know, fill in the blank. They're so great. Um, How deep really is your friendship with them? And then look at your friends that you have a deep, long-term, meaningful relationship with, friends that provide amazing value to you. I, I guarantee that they're not always just telling you what you want to hear. Some of my my best friends are the first ones to call bullshit on me. You know, the first ones to call me up and say, Jason, you're being a jerk, you know, who are willing to tell me what I, I need to hear. And, and that's the same. I, I think the same is true here. You know, we can get into a role and we can be... Um, we can be the rah-rah person. We can read, lead the pep rally. We can get everyone to love us in the organization. But if we don't care about them enough to tell them what they need to hear, then how deep really is that relationship? And any kind of wave is going to knock us off balance. And so I, I don't know if that analogy helps, but it's one that I, I constantly look at because I'm, I'm constantly looking at my group of friends and and I and I see it. I'm like my the people I count as my greatest friends are the first ones that are going to stand up and tell me what I need to hear, not necessarily what I want to hear at the moment. So many of those relationships then you know took years to uh, to, to to build um, and and get oh, yeah. to that level. Um, so, uh, you know, if you're dealing with a, a sales prospect, let, let's go with that. So this is, you know, this is your first touch point with them. Um, you know, is there a way to get to that level of rapport quickly so that you can set that, that, that tone that I'm here to give you the honest, deep answer, not what, you know, uh, what it's, you it's difficult to. because you're, you're right. I mean, developing strong, meaningful relationships like that take time. But I also believe that if you set expectations up front, uh, then that really helps to quickly get to at least a decision point where you feel like this is either right or wrong. So for for me personally, I set that expectation up front. When, when I first meet with a prospect, I, I try to be extremely transparent and telling them, I, I'm not here to sell you. I'm not going to, you know deploy crazy sales tactics to get you to bite. That's not my job. My job is to educate you on what we can provide to you. My job is to to understand the way you and your organization works and 
for us to mutually see if if there's a good fit. So right up front, I'm saying I, I'm here to see if this is going to work out for us. And I don't start the relationship off with um, kind of those those high level superlatives to say, I'm going to win you over. It's, it's a lot like any other process. You know, think about the job interview process. It's the exact same way. And it's always irritated me. You know, we put on this character and face for job interviews. We get the job and then we turn into someone else. And it, it's crazy to me. Like we 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 act this role to sell someone, and then we change into someone else. I've always I've always thought, why do we do that? Why don't we just show up and be who we are? And if we're a good fit, then it's it's fantastic. But both sides do it, right? The company puts on a much better face. They show you only the good things. The prospective employee, uh, you know, puts on a really good face and says, "These are all my great things." And then you you join in a relationship, and then all of a sudden. The employee sees, well, the company isn't as great as they said they were. And the company says, well, the employee isn't as amazing as they said they were. And you're starting off at a bad place. And it's the same with sales. You know, in the sales process, the sales team is is constantly trying to pump up and say, we're much better and we're perfect in this way. And the and the and the prospect the same. And then you get into a relationship and then you're all of a sudden say, yeah, by the way, here's who we really are. Right, the honeymoon period's over. Here's who we really are. I, I, I think it's much better to just be completely up front and say, "Here's who we really are. Who are you? If we're a good fit, let's let's figure this out." Um, but I, I know that that's not the norm and and not uh, ideal for a lot of companies. Although I think it should be, because if you go down that path, it makes those conversations later on so much easier. I hope, and you guys can tell me if you're wrong because. I'm kind of at the top of the funnel within our organization to bring in uh, accounts. And then you guys are handed off these customers and asked to take care of them. My hope is that the work that I do upstream to set that expectation makes your job that much easier to have sometimes those tough conversations because it's not like we're doing a bait and switch on them or pulling the rug out from under them and where they're saying, oh man, Jason was like so amazing and everything was perfect. And then I get in here and Jim's like, okay guys, this implementation is shit. We need to fix it. And you know, it's a different tone. We're the same, right? And we've set that expectation up front that we're going to tell you what you need to hear. We're going to be completely transparent and real. And hopefully that flows through all of our touch points downstream. Sorry, I'm going to pull you back in and have you not fight me on that one as, as you're trying to take the opposite side. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you actually bring up a, a, a good point there because I have been part of other organizations where the sales team goes in, does the, the dog and pony show, promises the world to capture the sale. And then, you know, after, you know, after they get the sale, they come back and say, okay, this is yeah, what it's needs a, to be built. And we're like, oh, half the it's, it's an absolute losing yet. game, right? Um, like you're putting, you're putting the team that yeah. ultimately is going to support and create value for that client at a huge deficit to start with. And, 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 you know, you may mm -hmm. get the sale, but now what do we have to do? We have to work our ass off just to get back to zero to make them happy. I, I saw it so many times at Omniture, so many times. I, I, I don't want to discredit the sales team because they were phenomenal. I think the growth of Omniture and the ultimate acquisition by Adobe was really driven by a, a really premier sales organization, but they didn't care. They didn't care what happened downstream. Their job was to make a sale and they were out there promising the world it would get handed off to the consulting team. And we're like, what are you guys talking about this? We, we can't do this. We're going to be, but they didn't care. Um, 
and 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 you know hopefully that isn't the case here uh where we're, we're making it a much smoother transition again for you guys to say this is what you need this is what you don't because back in the omniture day where the sales guys were promising we were going to land them on mars and we're and we were saying we're going to be lucky to drive you from la to san francisco um that that put us in a really difficult spot to have the conversations they needed to hear because they'd been their heads had already been gassed as far as where they they thought they could go. Mm-hmm. No, and uh, you know I think you and I and you know actually the the entire team we've been able to have that we we've been able to build that really good flow moving from one stage to another and keeping that that honest conversation. Um, there with, with the client, because I, I was thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking of a situation I had um, back in the beginning of December with a client that we've been working with for two plus years at this point. And um, there, there's a, a massive project underway and a new project manager came in to manage part of it. And the, the situation went down with, you know, I've been providing my stuff up front. I've been very proactive as far as like, Hey, I'm raising my hand. I need to be a part of this. Tell me when I need to provide requirements. Tell me when I can come in and perform my discovery, all of those pieces. And then this, this email thread start went off the, the rails where I was like, well, my next round of updates will be ready in a week. And the project manager went into that default bullying mode of no, I need it sooner. Uh, or, and then they came back with the threat of, or all of these other dates are going to be delayed. And unfortunately with everybody else there, we were then able to have a very honest conversation like, whoa, we've been very proactive from the beginning. I've got emails going back months asking for information. If anything, we don't throw out the, you're going to, to delay the project. And he and I ended up having a very honest conversation. And in the time since, we've become very, very best friends and uh, very good friends. And he now comes to me asking, like, do these dates work for you? Or what is your opinion? When should this be ready to go? Um, so, yeah, I am not doing a good job at all of trying to argue <laughs> the counterpoint. But uh, th- th- that is one example of like where those open, honest communication or that that o- those open, honest conversations over time when something really goes off the rails you're able to quickly pull it back and yeah and and and, and again i think that that's because you both were were real and honest and showed openness and vulnerability and and then we're ultimately able to come together it it reminds me a lot of high school i don't know if this happened when you when you guys went to high school but every once in a while there'd be like a big fight in high school and and then at the you know the next week you would see these two people hanging out and having lunch together and now they're best friends. I'm like, what what happened here? You know, it's like, but sometimes it takes a coming together and you kind of hash things out and say, okay, well, you know, I understand, I respect where you're coming from. We we can be friends now. Um, so I'm interested in it from. So we've talked kind of a bit on the on the sales side and working with prospects. We've talked on kind of the the, the more technical side working with with businesses. John, I'm interested in in your viewpoint as as kind of more a an, an analyst being in a position to again be that independent voice using data to step back and and maybe not be so personally invested in it. Um, as an as an analyst, what what has been your experience as far as um, delivering 
maybe tough messages. Maybe you've worked with a marketing team and they've asked you to analyze the results of a campaign and you know, you have to come in and say you wasted the company's money. Like what, what has been your experience as far as delivering tough news um, to, to either clients that we work with or internal customers when you were running analytics client side? Yeah, I feel like there's countless examples of that. So it's actually hard for me to narrow out a specific example, but I think the key early on is just to really think of everything objectively. And um, I think the most important person, most important um, aspect when you're communicating is to really, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to word it, um, kind of disassociate, you know, the, like, so for instance, if like a marketing came, campaign did really bad, it has nothing to do with the actual marketer. Well, usually, but <laughs> when you're communicating it, you, you never, you know, communicated it that way. It's always very, you have to be very objective about it. Like, so there's never, it's never about putting blame on anything. I think even when you're delivering good or bad news, it's kind of like you do it in a, uh, I don't want to use the word deadpan, but I mean, you kind of take the emotion out of it, you know, for both good and bad news. Because I think when you're really close to the data, even good wins sometimes, you know, that, make can make the entire organization very excited but you always know looking at the data or being very close to it there might be disclaimers mm -hmm. to it or you know certain cases that the why why things are the way they are but so i think that really goes with wins and um losses or challenges like i think there's i think also the other kind of key point about it is there's it's there's rarely ever black and white wins and losses i feel sure like. There's always, it, it's, so I think, and uh, yeah, it's really just removing the, the, the blame from it. And that makes it much easier to communicate. I think even if there's like a campaign that fails or, you know, a, a product release that hasn't, that never comes up with the intended impact optimization tests that don't win. Um, I think the key point is that there's always learnings to be made from it. So like if a campaign doesn't perform, if a test doesn't perform, you're always able to still judge something positive from it. And I think bringing out those um, insights really help communicate the message also. So it's not like, oh, this campaign sucked and you're an idiot for running it or whatever. I mean, there's always something you can talk to it more intelligently and um, in, a, in a way that, you know, we learn something from this campaign that will lead us to, you know, run it, uh, you know, an iteration of it in the future in a revised way based on some learnings. Um, so I think there's always things that always positives and that you can bring forth. And, yeah, and I and I think it's a challenging position that that digital. Uh, if we look at digital analytics and optimization, we're looking at, at kind of the digital landscape. It's a it's a challenging place for for us to be in. Um, and it may be an interesting future episode to talk about uh, the the differences between today's digital analysts and the traditional BI role. Um, because I, I think what you're describing is what the traditional BI role is so extremely good at. You know, they're removed from the emotion and the business and um, they're, they're just there to deliver results. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like it's, 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 it, it may not be black and white, but to them, it's very binary. Like here, here are the results, you know, interpret them as you will, but like, this is the data. This is what the data says. Um, and one of the, I think one of the challenges with, with that, um, at least what I've heard from companies that I've worked with both as a, as a consultant, as an, and as, a, and as an employee is that those roles are, are fantastic um, at just delivering the, the the results and the insights. But what they tend to lack is the connection with the business to tell the story that the business um, should hear uh, in order to make informed decisions. So come along the digital analyst, um, much more on the marketing soft skill side, um, a little less rigorous than the traditional BI, but but tend to have a more deeper understanding of business, at least how to sit down and have that conversation with the CEO about here's what we should do with our, our marketing spend. But that proposes a different challenge in that now we're, we're much more aligned with, with people and it's much more difficult to just give a binary, here's the data. Um, and I think it's very seductive to fall into the trap of, of giving, you know, of being the yes person because you you want to kind of be the hero oh you know jason's always the one coming to the table giving great news we love him and and so it's it's you know it it introduces a real, real challenge so while we now have the added benefit of being more closely tied with the business kind of understanding those soft skills it introduces a very real challenge of not just being you know binary in in providing the results so Anyway, kind of getting off track there, but I think it may be a, an interesting future conversation of, you know, how these these different roles are are potentially converging, converging, and 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 seeing if we can take the best of both of those worlds and combine them together. Yeah, to build on that a little bit, I, I also consider the analytics role to be very independent, like not really on any particular team side. Um, and I think that's true even with consulting, even if we're, you know, our, um, our, our main contact is in the marketing team or finance, or if you're client side and you're organized in marketing or finance or product or engineering or whatever, like, I think it's important for every analytics practitioner to, or consultant to really act as an independent voice and really just be on the side of the data and kind of try as much as possible to remove yourself from the the politics. And I think that really comes into play with how you're communicating or saying yes or no to things. If people get lost in the politics, that is usually what influences the, those decisions. Um, and it's a little bit easier, I think, to stay away from the politics as a you know external consultant. But I think it's also definitely possible to, to, to do that client side as well. Yeah, I agreed. Um, that that's a, a great way to position. It. And I think taking that advice puts, puts everybody in a good position. I think it's a great plug for the value of having external resources. And maybe we've already, already talked about that, but one of the value adds of having an external uh, team as part of your team is that they are much more, uh, better position to stay out of the politics, um, but it can also be done client side. Um, it's just a little bit more more difficult. But um, yeah, it, it, I, I like taking that approach to kind of stay outside of that that conversation and and just be focused on the data and let the data kind of tell the story. I think you mentioned something about you know don't make it personal. While it may be you know John mm-hmm. that's making the decision to put 
push the spend button that, you know, don't make it personal. Um, it's, it's, this is what we saw in the data and, and let the business um, draw their, their own conclusions from that. Yeah. I think even if you're saying no, it's not, I think a lot of times, especially in today's um, social discourse and the media and everything and the politics, it's, if you disagree with someone or say no, it's like, it, it, it feels like the other person treats you as like the enemy or your, your, you know, your, your opposition. But I think in business, when you're saying no, or in life in general, like you don't have to take that, um, yeah, that, that opposing, if you disagree with me, you're my enemy <laughs> kind of, uh, viewpoint, yeah. you know, <laughs> like you can disagree and, and uh, make it really objective and kind of a, it can be a positive thing, to, you know, if you explain why, listen to both arguments or whatever. Um, it doesn't have, you don't have to have that, <laughs> that very polarizing. I, I agreed. And that's probably a whole other, whole other topic because that, that simply yeah. isn't how corporations work. It's, um, it, most corporations are very toxic uh, from, from that respect in that if you look at it as the, we're developing personal relationships and we're investing in that. And through those personal relationships, we can have difficult conversations because there's mutual respect and we're trying to come to a joint outcome. It absolutely works. Unfortunately, in most corporations, employees are not trying to come to a joint outcome. They're, they're not there to come to a joint outcome that's the best for the business. It's a hundred percent personal. How can I get more money? How can I raise up, rise up the corporate ladder? How can I get the next promotion? And if I need to like stab John in the back to get that, then that's what I'm going to do. And I, I think that's where the disconnect is and why having those conversations internally are so difficult because there isn't that level of, of trust in a, in a relationship that we're trying to come to the same outcome together. Cause we're not, it's, it's, you know, it's, I'm looking out for me and my career, um, first and foremost, and it makes it, that makes it extremely challenging. Yeah. That's a fair point. So I don't know where we're netting out. I don't, I don't know if Jim did a very good job of arguing against <laughs> me. Um, probably because it's, it's, it's difficult. Nope, because I, you know, I think it's, it's tough to take an opposing position when you're not bought into it and, and passionate uh, about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I try to with, with everything, you know, any kind of internal debate I have, I try to see both sides, but at this point in my career, I, I think back and the most success I've had is when I've dealt with uh, customers, whether they're external clients, internal colleagues, where there is a level of disagreement where there isn't just a yes, I'll do it. So yeah, it is very, very hard, even though I, I tried to come in and take that challenge. It's hard for me to argue the point of, yeah, to make a happy client, you just have to say yes all the time. So no, I did not do a very, very good job at all. So I think it's kind of apparent where we all kind of stand on this, where the the, the goal, if, if you really want to have a successful engagement, a successful working relationship, there need, you know, you should not be a yes person. And that, that means that there are times where uh, to overuse our title, there, there's times where you need to give tough love, where it's there's a level of disagreement, where there's a very open and honest conversation about something, or there's just the flat out saying, no, I can't get it in that period, get it done in that period of time without risking quality, you know, is one particular example. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I would just wrap it up by saying that if, if you're really interested in creating deep and meaningful relationships, you have to get out of that yes mentality. And you have to get out of the interview mode. You have to get out of the word dating mode where you, you know, always are putting on the best face um, because those are, those are just fake, right? It's just, it's, you're, you're trying to put a, a good impression in place, but good impressions aren't what create meaningful relationships and not saying that you're not respectful, not saying that you shouldn't invest in understanding how things should be messaged, not only to different organizations, but specific people, because everybody's different. Absolutely. Um, but until you can get to the point where you respect the other person enough and you're really interested in creating a meaningful relationship, you, you until you get to that point, you can't really start developing that. And once you're there, um, being open and honest and transparent and and you know just being real is what is going to serve you best long term and whether you're in consulting whether you're building a business whether you're um rising up the corporate ladder it, it doesn't matter i i think in the long run you can game the system for a certain period of time and maybe there are some outliers of people that have faked it all the way through um, but for the most part, for the normal people like us, um, being authentic is is going to win out in the in the long run. John, were there any other final things you want to say before we uh, close it out for today? I think that was a good discussion. Yeah, I, I, I agree with. It was a I lot agree of fun. With, I don't know if we netted out on anything, but it was fun to go through. <laughs> I mean, we. I mean, <laughs> we we went from Jason having a dream about John to a discussion about how we can be authentic to coming around to like you know getting out of the dating mode. I mean, that's that's one hell of a ride today. Yeah, we hit everything. Indeed, it was a good chat. Yep. So lots of fun this week. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up for now and talk to everybody later. See you guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at www.33sticks.com. The 33 Tangents podcast is a production of 33 Sticks.